Welcome to Quarantine Made Sacred, a weekly podcast with the goal of helping all of us seek God and seek beauty in the midst of living through a pandemic. In our house, we're on day 60 of our stay at home to stay safe season, and it does not necessarily get easier. We want to remind you that while you are doing the hard work, doing this hard thing of staying at home, that you are part of a community that loves you. You're part of a community that loves the city of Houston and that remains focused on what God is doing in the world. We think it's important that we stay connected to each other during this time. So here's a few things happening through Ecclesia that you could be a part of. Each Wednesday night at 8 p.m., we hold Vespers, a great time of communing with God and one another through song and prayer and the hearing of scripture. We want to remind you that each Sunday morning we have our online worship services at 9 and 11 o'clock, and you can join a Facebook watch party to watch those with community. If you're wanting to have some time one-on-one with one of our pastors, you can sign up for a pastoral care session online. There are 15 and 30 minute slots, and that can be a time just for you to visit about whatever it is that's on your mind. We also have different meetups that happen throughout the week. Our family ministry team is doing all kinds of activities with students through art projects and story times, several different activities that your young kids can be a part of. And then each night at 7 p.m., our student minister has a teen call uh, for students who are between 6th and 12th grade. If you want more information about that, make sure you check out ecclesiahouston.org. I want to also let you know that there are some new things happening around Ecclesia this week. The first is uh, we'll begin discipleship groups. Pastor Sean and Pastor Matt brought us from the west side. We'll start the Bible for Beginners this Sunday afternoon. And Pastor Jim, also from the west side, will be teaching a class on the book of Philippians. Again, you can register for both of these experiences on the website, ecclesiahouston.org.
It's Pastor Sean, and welcome to another episode of Quarantine Made Sacred. I think this is our ninth episode together, and my prayer is that you have been blessed by it, benefited from it. We've talked about friendship recently, and then we had Mother's Day episode edition last week, which I thought was marvelous and beautiful, and I'm so grateful. But today I want to turn our attention in a little bit different direction for the next couple of weeks. I don't know um, how you're feeling about things. I feel like I say or text to someone 50 times a day, something along the lines of how are you holding up? And the reality is that um, so many of us, most of us aren't quote unquote essential workers. And so we're doing our work at home. And so we've been in the same places, in the same rooms with the same people for a long time. And none of us ever planned on that. Matter of fact, even when we started all of this, seeing COVID-19, the coronavirus headed our way, Rochelle and I talked with one of our good friends in California who is a scientist and she just happens to work for a Chinese company and she saw what was happening there because so many of her coworkers um, had been quarantined at home. And she told us, you need to be prepared for two weeks. And two weeks became four weeks, and four weeks became a month and a half. And now at the Palmer House, we are on day 60 of being together in a safer at home quarantine. And I've been thinking the last few weeks about all the things that we've missed, all the events that we've missed, but what we have missed the most, what you probably have missed the most, aren't events. It's not going to musicals or sporting games. It's being with the people that you love. And thankfully, we're not the first people in the world to have this problem, to not be able to be around the people that we love when we have done nothing to earn it or deserve it. Because it turns out that the Apostle Paul found himself In a quarantine of sorts, the book of Acts ends with Paul under house arrest for two years. For two years, he couldn't go anywhere. In other words, he was just like you and me. 
this man who traveled the entire world virtually was no longer able to go anywhere for two years. He couldn't leave his house. And that was before Netflix. That was before Postmates. And who knows? Maybe he struggled with loneliness. Maybe he struggled with boredom. We don't know. But what we do know is that somewhere in that two years, Paul started writing letters to some of the churches that he planted and some other churches. And this man who wrote, I don't know, two thirds of the New Testament, about half of that, what Paul wrote, are his most mature letters. Those were written while he was stuck at home. And while Paul was imprisoned in Rome, he wrote four books of the Bible that we refer to as the prison letters, Colossians, Philippians, Ephesians, and Philemon. So when I read through those letters, I find encouragement for us during this time because those four letters of Paul went on to shape Western civilization. And when he was doing it, when he was writing it, he had no idea that those letters were going to do what they did, which was shape and change the world. He had no idea what God was going to do with his time in his house, two years. And all you have to do is look back over history. Emperors, Caesars, they had their letters copied and copied. They had them stuffed in vaults and sealed so their legacy could be preserved. And you know what happened over the course of history? We lost most of them. But Paul's little letters... Some that don't even take 10 minutes to read all the way through. Paul's letters did things like overturn slavery. They helped women become fully recognized as human beings in the modern world and helped millions of people realize the grace and the goodness of God. Do you realize that so much of what we think in the 21st century to be thoughtful and progressive and open-minded and open-spirited, those things find their root in the letters of Paul as he reflects the teachings of Jesus. And those letters were just written to a couple dozen people originally, but millions, maybe billions of people have read them, memorized parts of them, copied them, and had their lives changed by them. Because a word from the Lord changes the world. And the first word that we get when we read Paul's letters, like a letter like Colossians, is that Jesus is up to something. Colossians 3, starting in verse 1, says, So it comes down to this. Since you have been raised with the anointed one, the liberating king, set your mind on heaven above the anointed is there, seated at God's right hand, stay focused on what's above, not earthly things. So pre-COVID, I flew a lot, was probably on a plane going to a church or a conference or someplace like that about once a month, sometimes twice a month. And I'd always have the same thought when I would fly into a new city and I would see um, all of the houses and all of the buildings. My first thought was, wow, there are so many people in the world. And my second thought was, man, 
things look really small from up here. Paul says, try just setting your mind with that kind of orientation around the world. Imagine for a second, Paul is stuck in house arrest and he's writing a church like the church in Colossae in a city that used to be something. A few decades before Paul writes, Colossae was a big bustling city. It was blowing and going and growing. But in 60 AD, it started to dindle, dwindle. And the thing that they were most known for was, was angel worship there. But other than that, it had gone from a significant city to nothing. It had great significance, a big life, and found itself reduced. But that once upon a time thriving city, in the middle of it, there was this small house church. And Paul didn't plant this church, Epaphras did, but Paul knows a lot of the people there and he's heard about how well they're doing and he's proud of them. But they've got some problems headed their way too. So Paul is going to say something. But what's he going to say? He's stuck at home. What's he going to do? Do you ever feel neutered, contracted by your current circumstances? Like there's this great big world going on. There are all of these circumstances that you want to be a part of, that you want to speak into, that you feel driven to do something about. But you know what? Right now you're stuck at home. And the life that you envisioned for yourself, that it would be bold and big and dynamic Right now, you're stuck at home. And all of the things that you dreamed for your children, whether they're young or old or even grown, all of the things that they could be doing, all the places they could be going, all the life that you remembered from before 60 days ago, you long for, but you're stuck at home. So Paul prays a lot. He actually says in his letter that, that he's fighting for the church in Colossae. He says he's contending for their faith. How do you do that when you can't do anything? But something has happened in Paul's life. And this is what I want to invite you to hear, Ecclesia. That when Paul is stuck at home, when his world gets smaller, Paul's God gets bigger. He writes some of his best letters while he is under house arrest. And his letters really did change the world. And if we let them, they can change our lives. During a time of a pandemic, it's easy for people, maybe even you, to wonder who's got the reins of this thing? Is God still up there doing anything? Has he ever been? But when Paul was stuck at home, he had the opposite experience. Paul's God gets bigger when he's stuck at home. When Jesus is all Paul has, Paul discovers that Jesus is all he needs. My wife, Rochelle, has this great t-shirt she wears. It says, I, all I need is coffee, lipstick, and Jesus. And what Paul discovers is Jesus is enough on his own. Jesus doesn't need any additives. Jesus is more than enough. And that's not just a platitude to make you feel better, but it's the witness of scripture. So that's why Paul in 
Colossians 1, starting in verse 15, he's able to say, he, he's talking about Jesus, is the exact image of the invisible God, the firstborn of creation, the eternal. He, he says that Jesus is the exact image of the, in, the invisible God because there's another person running around calling himself God, and his image is everywhere. He's Caesar. And Paul is saying, you know what? The world that you see, the world that appears to be one way, it just ain't always that way. And Paul then says, it was by him, it was by Jesus that everything was created, the heavens, the earth, all things within and upon them, all things seen and unseen, thrones and dominions, spiritual powers and authority. Every detail was crafted through his design by his own hand and for his purposes. He has always been. It is his hand that holds everything together. He is the head of this body, the church. He is the beginning, the first of those to be reborn from the dead, so that in every aspect, at every view, in everything, he is first. God was pleased that all his fullness should forever dwell in the Son. This is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. This image that the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. I think my deepest prayer is that I would be the kind of person for whom the fullness of God would be pleased to dwell. But hear what Paul says about how big Jesus becomes. He says that Christ is the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn over all creation. He outranks all of creation. He's the beginning and the end, the firstborn from the dead. He has supremacy over all things on heaven and in the earth because he created all things and all of God's fullness. That's a big Jesus. And not only did Christ create all things in the beginning, Christ reconciled all things through his blood on the cross. That's what Paul says later when he drops down in verse 20. He says, who as predetermined by God, bled peace into the world by his death on the cross as God's means of reconciling to himself the whole creation, all things in heaven and all things on earth. All things are reconciled. Then verse 25 Paul says, I am a servant appointed by God to preach the word of God until it is known to you and all over. What I am talking about is nothing less than the mystery of the ages. What was hidden for ages, generations and generations, is now being revealed to his holy ones. He decided to make known to them his blessing to the nations, the glorious riches of this mystery and the indwelling of the anointed in you, the very hope of glory. We are preaching him, spreading the word to all with equal amounts of wise warning and instruction so that at the final judgment, when we will all be present, everyone to the creator, fully mature because of what Jesus, the anointed, our liberating king has done. This is why I continue to toil and struggle because his amazing power and energy surge within me. Like if you're just now picking up this letter and it's being read in your home, in your church, you have to think that Paul is crazy because Paul is talking about being a servant and preaching and making it known. 
Paul is talking about striving, and he's sitting at home. Paul is either deluded or he is convinced that regardless of wherever he is, regardless of his circumstances, that God is up to something in the world and that Paul is part of it. And Ecclesia, what I want to submit to you is regardless of where you are in the world and regardless of your circumstances, that God is up to something in the world and you're in on it. And that's going to look different for every one of us. For some of us, it might be pizza bombing or sending someone a meal. It might be talking with our neighbors across a porch. It might be acts of loving kindness to our homeless brothers and sisters. But God's up to something. And you don't have to be in a special place at a special time to be in on it. Paul's at home. And he thinks that he is declaring the gospel to the entire world through letters that he knew were only going to be read by a few people. And why does Paul write all this? Because Paul's giving us a solution before he gets to the problem. He's going to go from what God did on the cross and how the cross has changed everyone who accepted it. And then in chapter two, verse eight, he says, make sure no predator makes you his prey through some misleading philosophy and empty deception based on traditions fabricated by mere mortals. These are sourced in the elementary principles originating in this world and not in the anointed. So don't let their talk capture you. You see, all that is God, all his fullness resides in his body. And by his body, what Paul means is the church. But I want you to hear and to drink deeply from what he says. Paul says, let no philosophy capture you. which is a startling thing to hear from a man who's captured. I want to ask you, what in our world, what in your life right now captures you? Is it endlessly watching the news? reading articles, cable news, constantly posting on social media? Or are you the kind of person who's just out there doing activity for activity's sake? Or are you trying to double down and just focus as hard as you can, focus, 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 focus on your work? Is it the idea of being captured by how soon can we get back to normal Maybe right now you are captured by your anger and it's just spilling out on your parents or your spouse or your children, whoever gets around you, that you're just, your, your anger is just like a tide coming in to the shore and all someone 
needs to do is stand there and they will become a wash in it. Or maybe right now you're just captured by pleasure and you're just pleasure seeking. Like you look at what's going on around you in the world, and all the frustration and maybe not knowing where to go or where to turn for good information. And you just say, I'm just going to dive in. I'm drinking too much. I'm doing whatever narcotizes me too much. And maybe some of us are on the other side of that. Maybe on the other side of that is the realization that before all of this happened, we really were captured by some things we shouldn't have been captured by. Maybe we were captured by an over-dependence on other people, having to have an approving audience. Maybe we were approval addicted. Maybe we were captured by the idea of our status and being the smartest or the best looking or the coolest person in the office or the school. And now we don't go to the office or the school. We spent all this money on a car and now we never drive our car. We've been long captured by the wrong things. And what Paul is inviting us into is the kind of life that sees Jesus so clearly and so largely that we know that he's up to something really big that we are a part of wherever we are. In his book, Sickness Unto Death, Soren Kierkegaard, who was my father-in-law's favorite philosopher, he says, it is the normal state of the human heart to try to build its identity around something besides God. And here's what I want to suggest to you, Ecclesia, that we have been given an incredible blessing in all of the heartache and all of the death that underlying all of it might be an opportunity for us to experience a great reboot. You, you know that moment when your computer has just been acting funky and you can't get it to work right and everything is just crashing, nothing's working, and you just say, you know what, I'm just gonna turn it off and turn it back on again. What if that's our moment? That God is saying that even in this, maybe what you need to do is look at your life, unplug it, and then turn it back on again. And maybe then you'll be able to see clearly what God is doing and your role in God's doing it. G.K. Chesterton wrote one of my favorite quotes. He, he says, how much happier you would be, how much more of you there would be if the hammer of a higher God could smash your small cosmos, scattering the stars like spangles and leave you in the open, free like other men to look up as well as down. How much larger would your life be if you could become smaller in it? And so maybe that's our opportunity. That Jesus gets bigger because we have embraced 
this current smallness that we see our quarantine life as an opportunity for God to become large and for us to see and hear what God is doing and to join him in it. God is a big God. And maybe right now is the best time, maybe the first time in your life to really see it. I'm 
Almighty God, in all of our sadness, our disillusionments, at times our frustration, our fear, our anger, just as in the gratitude and, and praise we hope to cling to and, and our desire to cling to hope in this season, all that we have, we bring before you. The number of those touched by this virus continues to rise, every last one of them a beloved child who bears your image, over 275,000 worldwide. The lives taken by this virus in our country alone would fill a football stadium. For those presently grappling with symptoms, especially those for whom they are severe, protect them, grant them mercy, and keep others from being exposed. For those with compromised immune systems facing the greatest risk. For all families continuing to grieve but who have been unable to gather in mourning and remembrance. For those in shock, for those families in desperate prayer even this very day. For all medical professionals, first responders, nurses, respiratory therapists, hospital chaplains, all concerned as much or more for their fellow humanity than for their own health, may they find the care they need in your hands as they selflessly pour themselves out in service. Grant them rhythms of renewal and endurance. We pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. For all those who have lost jobs or had their opportunities for work greatly diminished, for frustrated and despairing job seekers and those seeking out limited unemployment resources, for essential workers continuing to battle through unsustainable hours, for those forced back into work while fearing their own exposure because they have bills to pay, protect your people from panic and anxiety, helping us always to trust in your provision of daily bread. For the choices each of us are required to make in these days of tenuous reentry, grant us wisdom and patience May our concern never center around our own convenience or desires, but in continued care for the needs of our neighbors. We continue to pray for clear, honest, thoughtful, and compassionate directives from knowledgeable experts that they be heeded and heard, and we be granted both the individual and collective discernment to navigate these seismic challenges together. For those responsible for making decisions that affect us all, May your spirit direct the conversations that affect the lives and futures of our own families, our communities, our nation, and peoples across the globe. We pray that our leaders would be guided by empathy and compassion, 
and may those without power or voice have you and their fellow humanity as their advocates. We pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. For the emotionally depleted, who feel as though they have nothing left, may your overflowing love replenish and nourish the dry ground within their hearts. For the teachers and educators continuing to work tirelessly in their call to cultivate young minds, may the summer ahead be an opportunity for many of them to recover and regroup. For parents and their ongoing perseverance, for our children and all of their vibrant resilience, even as they feel the ongoing sting of separation from one another in their bodies. For graduates preparing to enter a next chapter far different than any they had imagined, instill within them the confidence that you continue to form them in this time of trial. Grant them faithfulness, creativity, passion, and dedication as they seek the paths you've set before them. For eyes weary from social media, illuminate the true and the good as we battle news fatigue and toxic discourse. May your wisdom always pierce through the noise, and may love be our guiding constant. For the often unseen who are nearest to your heart, made even more vulnerable by this crisis, women and children in unsafe homes, the victims of human trafficking, our unsheltered family members on the streets, those who feel isolation most acutely, for the family of Ahmad Arbery, and especially this week, his mother, Wanda Cooper Jones, grieving not only the tragic and senseless loss of his life, but the weeks spent suffering through justice delayed. For our family members of color forced to wonder time and again, maybe this time will be different in vain. We plead to you, Lord, for nothing less than the repentance of human hearts from the places of our deepest division and sin. Rouse the church, rouse all who have neglected their part in confronting racism and hatred in all of its ugly forms. Lord, have mercy. May this chapter of our lives spent apart draw us closer in human union and reconciliation. We pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. For the prayers that dwell uniquely on each of our hearts, countless more than we could possibly name. For this ecclesia community, and all those throughout Houston and around the world show us the course of wisdom. Even as we weep at times over our separation from one another, we hold to the truth that your church is a body and not a building. Show us each the ways you call us to work together as that body, priests and heralds of your eternal glory in these uncertain days. Grant us continued endurance for the long road. Help us to fall into your waiting embrace when our bodies and our minds, our spirits, our courage fail us. Help us this day and each day to renew our trust in you. We pray all of this together and so much more beyond our failing words, more than we know how to ask for or imagine. We pray as one global family, and we pray in your name, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.